It began as a prank and ended in murder. Fantastic choice. I love this one. It's trash. Lowbrow horror. It's for my stepdaughter. Uh, that'll be $2.95. Thank you for shopping at B. Dalton's. And have a nice night. Attention shoppers. The Shadyside Mall is now closed. The Shadyside Mall is now closed. Welcome to the Final Girls podcast and a very special three-part coverage of the horror event of the summer. I'm talking, of course, about the Netflix trilogy, Fear Street. My name's Anna. I'm the co-founder of the Final Girls and your podcast host. And over the next three bonus episodes, three chunky bonus episodes, Join me and my special guest as we dive very deep into every single thought we had while watching the Fear Street trilogy. This first episode is going to be entirely about Fear Street 1994, which has just hit Netflix. And be warned, we don't mince around words. So if you haven't seen it yet, best go check it out and then dive deep into this episode. We will also be releasing coverage of the next two films in the Fear Street trilogy the Saturday after they've come out on Netflix. So do subscribe, review, rate, all that good stuff and let us know what you think. We also have a special exclusive interview with Fear Street director Lee Janiak coming to the podcast. You'll be hearing some bits of the interview throughout the episodes and then I'll publish the entire interview unabridged on the feed as well. So, and with that, I do hope you're ready to enjoy some good old-fashioned slasher horror as we dive deep into Fear Street 1994. Hello Azora, welcome back. Always, always a pleasure to to have you on the podcast and especially a pleasure when we get to talk about um the stabby movies thrilled thrilled to be here i was so excited about any of these films <laughs> seeing any of them so, when you like messaged me about it i was like yes <laughs> Not, don't even have to be persuaded absolutely what do you need um yeah just genuinely very excited. So we're going to be doing something a little bit different with Fear Street because it's a very different kind of horror horror series, horror film, films plural, the way that it's released. We'll talk about that a little bit later. And I've had the 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 privilege to talk to the director of all three films, the Janiac, so I'll be interspersing our conversation through the magic of editing um with <laughs> my conversation with lee just to um add maybe a couple bits uh, that we that we also talked about so to begin tell me how do you feel about slashers and the comeback that they're making with fear street i love slasher films um i find them relaxing <laughs> I 
don't know what that says about me, but I find them, they're like, I love horror films, obviously, but um, slashes are like, uh, like a, a younger sibling of horror films. They're like, oh, it's, you know, they're kind of okay to watch when you're younger. They're kind of fun. The characters are usually like, fun and interesting and quirky and and I I really miss them actually in the horror scape um everyone's trying to do like you know very cerebral <laughs> like horrors now and I'm like I love that too but sometimes I just want to see teenagers like coming up with schemes and running screaming and like catching killers and like I kind of sometimes I want a little bit of scooby-doo you know just like kind of like scooby-doo energy where it's like who's who's wearing the mask uh, <laughs> and um and then like, it's like a big reveal like I love it and I just find them such a joy to watch and it just feels like a very pure form of that of the genre it just feels like yeah there isn't much you can do differently with it but I quite like that I quite like it. it's just reimaginings of essentially the same thing. times has been um Scooby-Doo energy it's probably my favorite <laughs> thing that you've said so far since I've known you. <laughs> Gotta love that Scooby-Doo energy. Just they really it. were onto something, Scooby and the gang. Like, you know. I really agree with you. I have a I have a soft spot for the slasher. Um and I think it can be like quite intense and uh, like very, very scary, like some of the original 70s ones, but mm. the slashers that I guess our generation grew up with are the slashes from the 90s, the sort of the second golden age. And I love them and I miss them because they're not scary, scary, but they're fun, like you say. Yeah. They're just really fun to watch. They're the kind of the biggest stakes are how intense and weird and gory are the deaths going to be and who's, who's behind the Scooby-Doo mask, like who's the mask killer and trying to find out like a sort of, you know, 90s teen version of Agatha Christie where we're just sort of always trying to pinpoint who the murderer is and trying to mm. outsmart the filmmakers so I was I was really excited about these films coming around and and I wanted to ask you were you where are you or were you a fan of R.L. Stein books or that kind of brand of pre-teen and then teen horror so he was the, the author of Goosebumps and then Fear Street was a much more teen oriented series of books that he wrote so I devoured Goosebumps books like my favorite thing to the point my teacher wrote home because I was reading too many <laughs> she said I was reading too many like Goosebumps books and then I progressed to Christopher Pike books which is essentially the same thing and um like my teacher was like she has to read something else my mom was like well she's reading <laughs> and she's like I'm like burning through these books and she's like I was like what what do you want me to read like I'm enjoying reading <laughs> these are books that we have in our library like why can't I read them but yeah huge fan of the Goosebump books my favorite being it came from beneath the sink um mm -hmm. which was just I found really scary and great there was one about a dummy as well that was really scary oh yes I remember that one yeah um so yeah I I don't think I, I'm not sure if I read Fear Street I read so many that I honestly couldn't tell you um I probably did <laughs> I don't know um uh, <laughs> I was wondering about this when I was um when the the films were announced first because similarly to you, obsessed 
with um, Arnold Stein growing up. I read all the Goosebumps books. I had all of the Goosebumps VHSs um, to the point where no, they would sell them in like the local, I guess the Spanish equivalent of an off license where I would just go down and I would just stroll through the shelf. There was an entire shelf dedicated to Goosebumps books. And I would just be like, which one don't I have yet? And I now resent my teenage asshole self who threw them all out in a fit of like, I'm too old for this shit now. Yeah, you know, I moved on to Stephen King. I'm allowed allowed (laughs) into the adult section of the library now. Look at me. (laughs) And I think with Goose, it was really when we were teenagers, like around in the 90s or, or like early 2000s, was actually like a really good time for that certain type of there was stuff on tv like eerie indiana and alex mack which also had that those kinds of elements of creepy i don't know there was this like this teen horror thing that was like happening (laughs) that was just like done so well that was like not too scary but scary enough it didn't feel like pandering um they weren't like oh don't scare the tiny little baby teenagers they were like no it can be a bit scary they can handle it and it was really nice and i feel like goosebumps did that all those like kind of pulpy teen books did that where they were like no you can handle this someone died (laughs) in a really bloody way you're fine (laughs) they're gonna figure it out and did you have um did you have any particular expectations of the Fear Street films and specifically the 1994 one, which I think is the one that's been getting the most because it's the first one and because there's such a big 90s nostalgia thing going on. Did you have a particular expectation of what they they could be or what you wanted them to be? I guess I just kind of hoped they'd be as close to the slashes we loved as possible. Mm-hmm. you know like um especially the 90s one like like you said those are the ones that really we would we really remember like the mm-hmm. the second golden age of of slasher films so you i was kind of like oh, i just really want this to be like that i don't even care if it's like almost exactly the same <laughs> like i just i'm just absolutely desperate for anything um, that remotely resembles it so I I my expectations I don't think I even had expectations of like Mm -hmm. I wonder if this will be good I think I was just like I can't wait to watch these because I'm 100% going to watch all of them and I'm sure they'll like satiate like my my hunger for like slashes in some way like I I didn't I didn't I just no part of me thought I was going to be disappointed whatever happened I was like you'd have to like really screw this up to for me to be disappointed at this point let's dig into the films properly then your expectations were both extremely low (laughs) and through the roof (laughs) by the sounds of it (laughs) yeah it's just fully across the spectrum (laughs) so let's talk about um i kind of want to do it a little bit differently so i think it's really interesting that netflix have released the first five minutes of Fear Street 1994 online, which are an, ama- a, an amazing opening scene, but also kind of after which point the film takes a turn. Mm. So I wanted to ask you, kind of, what did you make of that opening, of that first scene at the mall? I loved it. That for me was like, are you surprised that I loved it? <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise um 
So I loved it mostly because it's very, it's very much like Drew Barrymore at the beginning of Scream. It's a hundred percent like that. Yes. They're like, here's a famous person. It's like, totally. here's Mia Hawk. Is that her name? Right? Like Ethan, Ethan Hawk and yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Maya Maya Hawk. Hawk. Yeah. Um, so like, oh, here's this very recognizable person. Um, and we're immediately going to murder them. And I love that. I was like, yeah. You've just, mm -hmm. you've gone, yeah, Scream did it and it worked. Let's do it again. This is what people want. Hello. Hello. Yes? Who is this? Mm, who are you trying to reach? What number is this? What number are you trying to reach? I don't know. Well, I think you have the wrong number. Do I? It happens. Take it easy. Hello? I'm sorry, I guess I dialed the wrong number. Uh, so why'd you dial it again? To apologize. You're forgiven. Bye now. Wait, wait, don't hang up. What? I want to talk to you for a second. They've got 900 numbers for that. See ya. I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? No. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. And it is what the people want. If people are me, then yes, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted. And I love it's set in a mall. Like even that is the idea of it is like, oh, she, I mm. mean, there are parts of it where I was just like, in a mall, it's very empty at this time. Of, what time of night is it? First of all, it looks like it's like midnight. Um. <laughs> it might just be 8pm it's a small town right but like there's no barely anyone still there then like this it feels like a big space to it feels like a big space mm -hmm. to be trapped in i guess is the issue not not the issue i was just like i feel like there'd be quite a few places maybe to escape to or try to escape to and she's like i'm gonna hide behind this shelf uh, <laughs> and just kind of wait <laughs> for the killer and even the, the killer, like the, the first killer you see, the fact that he's wearing a skull yeah. mask is like very reminiscent of like Ghostface. Mm -hmm. And then like, I love that this is like, not even a nod at this point. They're like, it's slightly different than the beginning of Scream, but not really. It's like 100% aped from Scream. And I'm saying this quite confidently because Lee Janiak okay, said as yeah. much. Um, 
I was like, yes. <laughs> so, <'cause> I- <laughs> it's that thing of like, I'm all, I'm already in love with you for completely both ripping off, knowingly ripping off in a really, really great way, the opening to Scream. And at the same time, pulling the rug from under yeah. us. Because at the end of that scene, the killer is revealed. Yeah. So you're kind of like, oh, wait, but the Scooby-Doo mask has come right. off five minutes in. What the fuck's going to happen now? As he is he revealed, but he's dead. So you're just like, yeah. oh, because, it, yeah, and it, it's just that thing of like, you assume this is what it's going to be, right? You assume this is going to be this town's terrorized by this one killer guy. Um, and I wonder who it is. And it was just like, oh, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. But also, even the way, um, like, I think they call him like Skull Mask or whatever they call him in the thing. Mm-hmm. Even the way he moves is like Ghostface. And I'm like, this is amazing that they've done yes. it. Even the way he's running is like the same way it is in the screen movie and there's no other character in the film that runs like like behaves like that like he's really just made this person yeah. <laughs> he's just ghost face even the actor who plays him who's like another another teenager who's working mm. in the mall late who works in like a neon shop yes, i yeah. think <laughs> it's just really funny it's very east london i love it <laughs> yeah just these very weird shops at the mall it's like what mall is this yeah like there's there's a shop uh, not far from where i live that just sells neon signs and now i can't look at it in the same way (laughs) i always wonder about that shop so i'm I'm just like how many people are buying neon like at what what rate are people buying neon signs yeah even the guy he's he's very much fits the profile yeah, and he fits a profile of like the guy who probably fancies her a bit, and you know, in the same way, it's like yeah. C- Sydney, um, Cindy, and wait, is it Sydney or Cindy? Sydney, Sydney is Sydney. Cindy is the one scary in movie. Uh, scary movie. <laughs> it even fits that whole thing of like he kind of likes her. Maybe he's like this good guy who she's asked to drive her home. She trusts, and then he ends up like trying to kill her or killing her. Even the way that the the murder is shot is so almost exactly like the way that Drew Barrymore gets murdered in that first yeah. opening scene in Scream. Yeah, exactly. And even the 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 hesitation of the holding the knife up, they there's that shot mm-hmm. where he's before he stabs, which I'm sure if you're stabbing someone, I'm not sure you do, where you have like a pause. But I love that they had that shot even of that like really slow where she can see the knife and he like pauses before he like really slams mm-hmm. it down into her yeah incredibly violent to start with um just a really good callback to to scream and it just really lets you know what you're in for it's like basically a note to go hey guys it's it's this it's that thing that you've been missing here it is it's going to be like this and i like kind of but like i i love that i was like oh they they know what they're Mm -hmm. doing doing a slasher we're doing a classic slasher guys here it is which I like. We can do the formula, do it really well, make it fun mm. again. What I kind of really liked about it from, even from that that first scene, and I was excited and stuff, and it was, but I, I also didn't want to expect yeah. too much. But fuck the gritty. They don't want to go gritty slasher. I'm very, I'm very happy that they didn't because like, I don't really need more gritty. I don't need more gritty Batmans. I don't need more gritty slashers. I want a fun neon lighthearted not dumb a smart fun slasher yeah. movie 
that's what I want. And in five minutes, before even the credits are rolling, it's like, oh, okay, you know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly the tone and the vibe. You you know all of these movies, like the way that they look, the pacing yeah. of them. And and that's what we're that's what we're in for. Yeah. And it feels it kind of because I feel like good slashes are like the panto of horror films. <laughs> you know, where you you like the ones where you want to yell at the screen because you see the killer behind them and stuff like that. It's that mm-hmm. kind of stuff that's fun. Where it's not that like they're fun, but it's not they're not like knee slapping comedies where you're like, ha ha ha, isn't this hilarious? It's like, oh my god, turn around. Um, it's that feeling. Um, he's behind you. And that's what they already had with that like there's that beautiful bit where yeah. my hawk is like going past the ma- mask and then he steps out from there and it's like yes realistically i feel like she would have known there was a person there because the other masks are mm-hmm. on a shelf and there's a person <laughs> attached to this one but it's so great visually and it's like it doesn't matter that that's mm-hmm. like which is why i forgave the ball thing i was like i feel like there'd be more places to run to but i i forgive you because it's great yeah um yeah it's kind of the rules of the genre as well like you always get um victims of the slasher of the slasher killers who are making all the wrong choices that's also kind of part of the fun to see them make the wrong choices the only criticism i would really have is that i wish it was a bit longer that opening like i I wish there was that because what's nice about the beginning of screen is that it actually seems okay for a bit for a little while it just mm-hmm. seems kind of normal mm-hmm. for a little while, which is why what's hap- what happens is such a surprise because you're just like, oh, she's just, someone's calling her. It's probably a joke. And I think this turns so quickly. And then even the chase isn't very long. And like, I feel like this whole section mm. could have actually like breathed a little bit. Like it was, it's so much fun. It could have, you could have lulled us into like more of a sense of security and then terrified us for a little bit longer. But that's just because I want more screen. Situations <laughs> <laughs> that might be a personal, personal note. So let's talk about the characters because after that scene, there's the credits, and the film does the kind of the same thing that all the slasher from the '90s do, which I also love. It's like they give you one like gory murder, and then they completely shift tone, and they introduce you to the town and the characters yeah. and the overall like dynamics that exist there. And here with this with this already, Fear Street nineteen ninety four is quite different because all the characters we meet are are kind of Scooby Doo yeah. gang, are weirdos in their own way. These are not Sydney Prescotts. They're yeah. not cheerleaders. Well, one of them is, but they're not kind of the usual type of protagonist that we get in slashers. What did you What did you make of our of our leads? Um, I really like them. So the main girl, Dina who is a scrappy lesbian from the wrong side of the tracks. Big fan. And they give you like the bait and switch at the beginning, right? So what they do is they kind of go, um, she's writing a letter to Sam, who's obviously someone she, and you assume it's a boy, which because, because our mm-hmm. annoying heteronormative brains are like, oh, she's upset about some boy called Sam. And then they keep it going up until she's at the game. And there's a guy kissing a girl and you assume the guy is Sam and you're like, oh, she's upset he's with another girl. And then it's the girl and you're like, yes. And I was like, this, that was done really well. Like, this is really clever. Yeah. <laughs> They've gone, uh, just, like, and then they don't make a big deal about it. Then it's like, once you realize mm. it's not like, 
like wink wink they're just like yeah they're they're exes and they have like this mm-hmm. relationship they've broken up it's a matter of contention um and then they don't ever like question it again it's never like they're never trying to pull the wall your wall over your eyes again about it they're just like no this is it and you're on board and that's fine um but yeah i um well two of them are uh, sam's a cheerleader and so is um kate mm-hmm. right or is she just wearing a weird outfit Kate is a cheerleader, but their cheerleader, Kate is the cheerleader for Shady Side for their team, the witches. And Sam has just moved over to Sunnyvale. Yeah. So that's the the rich town um, that is kind of always in competition with, Sadie, with Shady Side. What I love about R.L. Stein is that he's not even like, no, I'm going to be like clever. He's like, the bad kids live on Shady Side and the rich <laughs> good people live in Sunnyvale. Um, <laughs> the sheriff is literally called Sheriff Good. Um, like it's yeah. <laughs> it's not even. <laughs> He's not like, well, here it is. What should I call this? I don't know. Um, yeah, I I love them, and I love that they're kind of. So there's this whole thing from the 80s to 90s about these kind of abandoned mm-hmm. kids, right? There's all the kids from these uh, films that we love and whatever their parents never seem to really be around. They're like referenced, mm-hmm. but they're mostly left to their own devices, which is something you couldn't really do now because it, it would mm-hmm. be a lot harder to convince an audience that these kids are just like, who have homes are just being left to their own devices the entire time. But they're re- And that there's no communication, even like via text or right. something like that would be, we're, co- we're so connected to everyone exactly. all the time. It would be extreme. Yeah. Whereas then, like, the 80s and 90s was, like, obviously a time when, like, people for the first time were like, oh, my God, kids get kidnapped and molested, guys. Like, they literally just hadn't realized that happened before. So <laughs> they weren't, there wasn't the concern for children. Like, there, it was, like, come home when the streetlights come on. It was, and there was an mm. assumption, like, if they didn't come home, it'd be like, oh, they're probably staying at so-and-so's house. And they knew everyone's mother's numbers and you know they'd rely yeah. on other people's pe- like pe- um, um parents to feed them and and it was so mm-hmm. i love that idea i cuz honestly parents would just ruin it so i love that they're these group of kids for whatever reason which we never really get an explanation for mm-hmm. we assume they're like working or whatever but their parents aren't really around um so they're really very much left to and there's a, a feeling of like not trusting adults either which i also love yeah there's like a there's like a really big separation between the teen world and the adult yeah. world. And we don't really, the only adults really that we see are the police yeah. officers with like Sheriff Good and his, and his like officers who make fun of the teenagers yeah. when they ask for help and they aren't really presented as trustworthy figures at all. They're just like the yeah. authority and the parents, we don't we see, see them. one parent at the end and that's it. Like, um, mm-hmm. and I also love that the kids, even if they're from Sunnyvale or Shadyside, they close ranks when talking to an adult. They literally just lie. They just go, well, we're just covering this. And I like, I love that even though you hate each other, there is a line that you do not cross, which is that you don't snitch. Mm-hmm. You don't like, you, you mm. close ranks and, and when that happens. So even though um, they're outsiders and stuff like the the Shadyside kids, the gang we end up with, I still love it. It's a, it's, a connection between kids still it's still all about the kids and their Mm. feelings and their rivalries and their issues and the reason they're outsiders is not really like 
so Dina is she's a lesbian but I'm not sure that that's necessarily widely known um well maybe I guess amongst the kids um she's in band she has like a dorky band outfit and and she's from the wrong side of the tracks which is mainly the thing um Mm -hmm. her brother's like you know a little computer nerdy guy he's on like chat rooms yeah um like being he's on like serial killer chat rooms which I (laughs) really (laughs) love and empathize with I'm sure we can all relate uh, <laughs> um, and then Kate and Simon are—they're very much. I love, I love this trope that's come from somewhere, which I don't know where, of like the cheerleader and her weird male friend, who they just hang out with. Which we also see in um, Booksmart, like like the popular girl and yeah. weird guy friends who she's always with for some reason, and I love it. <laughs> Like it's even a bit like Buffy and Xander. If Xander wasn't an absolute piece of shit, we try and get into now. But I, it's like that kind of like that kind of trope. I'm gonna posit a theory here. I might I might be wrong, but I'm gonna say it it's it's a flawed theory because but hear me out. So you know in Pretty yeah. in Pink, the John Hughes film with Molly Ringwald and Ducky. Uh... Ducky is the weird, like quirky boy friend friend who is a boy who's kind of hanging on potentially probably pining for his female friend the reason this theory is flawed is because molly ringwald's character is not popular Mm -hmm. in that film because she's very much also from the other side of the tracks and stuff but that dynamic of like the protagonist the girl protagonist and her weird quirky hanger on pal who's a who's a guy might be coming from there yeah because there, there is also like there is also a school of thought that you know school of thought sounds very hoity-toity but there's people who think that ducky is just closeted and and needs to like understand that he he's not attracted to like he's not attracted to andy <laughs> well that's interesting because i know in that film they were meant to end up together and then the test audiences didn't like it they're like she deserves better yeah. than this like guy he's been nice to the whole time <laughs> <laughs> If you rewatch the film, Ducky's actually a massive asshole. Oh, no. He's very much like in the Xander vein. Oh. Which was also very much like that 80s thing, like where they were just like, this, it's, yeah. it's okay that this girl has a, a guy friend that just wants to have sex with her and is like a, kind of a dick about it the entire time. Um, he's still her friend. He's still a good guy. Um, but um, <laughs> it's like, is he? Is um, he but this guy, this is interesting because this is like truly platonic. Mm-hmm. These, 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 yeah. and they deal drugs together, which is kind of like a really random, like, side bit. They're just like, oh, they just, they know a lot about drugs. They deal drugs together. Mm-hmm. They have uh, twins there babysitting, like, packaging drugs for them. Um, so they're like, running a, a little business together. And I'm just like, they're really just friends. There's nothing else between them. They're just like a weird pair of people who are mm-hmm. pals. Um, and they probably supply quite a lot of people with drugs, which is also weird why they're like outsiders, because you're just like, well, they are like the hookup clearly which i guess is kind of also perhaps uh i'm not sure if this is a a knowing one uh but it feels to me like something out of the faculty where josh hartman's character is like the hot guy but he's also the school drug dealer and that makes him an outsider because even though he's the hookup people are kind of afraid of him as well and i think perhaps here they're outsiders because like yes they will hook up everyone with drugs but also that makes them I guess a little bit a little dangerous bit like or un- 
untrustworthy. Yeah. yeah. Like, no one wants to be friends with their dealer. Like, so they're just like, yeah. we want the drugs, we don't want to talk to you. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. And then Sam, so as you oh. said, Sam, who's like Dina's ex-girlfriend, is from um, sh- uh, Shadyside. Shadyside. I was like, Shadyville? Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to start renaming it. <laughs> I'm from Darkside. Um, she's from Shadyside, but has just moved to Sunnyvale, which initially I thought was called Sunnydale. I was like, no. <laughs> they haven't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she... So she's moved and it's just, it's very interesting that even just moving immediately gets you into this club of being a Sunnyvaler now. So she's not shunned in Sunnyvale Mm -hmm. because she's actually from Shadyside. She's just welcomed into the fold and the divide is real, um, but she really can't escape. She can never escape her Shadyside, which is like the kind of the thing you can't escape that you're from here. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter that you move, you're a Shadysider. So bad shit's going to happen to you. Um, Yeah, so I love them. What a glorious bunch of people. They're all very different from each other. They don't even feel like a natural group to hang out, which I like. They never Mm. make it like they're they're like, oh, they're going to be best pals after. It's like, no, they probably wouldn't hang out after this. It's, Mm. they're not natural friends. They just have found themselves. It's not like a group dynamic. Like they bond as the film progresses because they're put in this extreme situation but they don't start out as a group of yeah. friends there's like like dina and josh are brother and sister but they're kind of the the dynamic between brother and sister where they're like kind of yelling mm. at each other um and being annoyed at each other all the time they're not hanging no. out together and dina and kate are friends but dina and sam are like broken up and dina's very obviously still hung up on her and making her mixed yeah i know and then oh. even though Dina and Kate are friends, it doesn't feel like Simon's part of that friendship necessarily. Mm-hmm. And even as they get closer throughout the film, it still doesn't feel like they're a coherent, like, oh, we're all really good pals. Like, they they talk about them, you know, the people who don't make it, they talk about them in a way that's, like, nice afterwards. Mm-hmm. But... um at the time it's like it's all practical everything they do it they're doing is just like what's yeah. the next thing we need to do there isn't really bonding in the way of like oh we've like you know we're bonding and we're realizing that actually we should have been friends this whole time mm. just like no you've been forced into this because of like practicalities yeah. and very much in that small town like school way which is like a very american high school thing where everyone kind of knows everyone mm. anyway so even if you don't yeah. talk to any someone you know enough about their life so Mm-hmm. There's also that there's like they're coming with like this history of like vaguely knowing each other anyhow. And they all need to find out why there's a whole bunch of people trying to murder them. Do need so... to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the killers and plural because it's not just the the skull face guy from the first 5 minutes. He's dead, but then he's back. Yeah. And then there's a whole other roster of murderers that they have to contend with. So what did you make about, well, which killer did you like best? And what did you make about the the many murderers that the gang have to have to combat? I really enjoyed um, the axe guy just because he was swinging the axe like with wild abandon he's literally just like he's not even really trying to aim he's just like Wah! 
like he's having a ball and i was like really like this guy like really some gusto in there he's just like so eager so keen he's like running everywhere and he's like swinging before he even knows what's happening um getting his act caught and like ah, like he's just over excited he's like oh my god i get to murder people let me go let's go um i love him um big fan <laughs> i'm so happy about it and you know i just like when people really enjoy their job anna i just i just want you to be enthusiastic uh <laughs> he loves his job it's great oh my god i get he's to murder people mask on uh <laughs> he's having a great time um so he's my favorite for sure um mm. but i they're all really different i enjoyed all of them i actually wish there were more so they go through all the people who've mm. killed before i'm like oh all of them coming back and it's like oh no three of them that's it um <laughs> that's the rest i want to meet the rest of these guys i want to meet the baby guy with the baseball bat like there's all these other like the little child one like i'm like there's lots of them i'd be very keen to i'm sure i will meet them as the films progress but I was like, oh, I kind of want the whole battalion of these like monsters to come after them. <laughs> um, but maybe three was enough. I mean, they had, they had their hands full with three. But um, I like, like I said, I like Skullface because he was like, he's Ghostface. And the way he ran around in his black cloak and his mask. And I was like, I actually really love that this, this character's here. Like there's a bit in the supermarket mm. where he's chasing Josh and he's like looking down every aisle. I'm like, this is literally from screen. This feels like it's from screen. Even the way he's just like, oh, like he's like running and like being like, is he there? And it's like, it feels like it's a teenage boy, <laughs> like playing killer. And I'm like, I love this. I love, I don't know. I don't know if he was directed to do this like Ghostface because it, it's perfect. Lee Janiak showed the cast uh, Scream and The Goonies and we're like these are the two films you need to get this is the vibe we're going for and then like I think I know what you did last summer and a bunch of other kind of 90s slash references but Scream and The Goonies are the ones that they've mentioned This, these are the yeah. ones that you need to get The Goonies of course that's very much like that makes a lot of sense. Even the rivalry makes a lot like, of sense. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. really that's really good reference. How exciting as a director to show these teenagers like these films? Be like, here you go. The, here's the first time you're seeing Scream and the Goonies. I'm responsible for that. Like, how <laughs> thrilling! <laughs> like, I mean, she mentioned this amazing thing where she made the mixtapes of music from the '90s. Like, very much in the vein of Dina making mixtape for Sam, but obviously different. Like, she'd give them the music to put them, not necessarily music that would feature in the soundtrack, although we'll talk about the soundtrack, which is absolutely yeah. banging, but to put them in the mood of, like, this is the vibe that we're going for. This is what it sounds like. This is what the uni- this is what this universe needs to sound like and what it needs to fe- these scenes need to feel like. Wow. What? And it was really interesting. This is um this is not something that she told me, but I, I interviewed the cast for another thing. And apparently when a scene wasn't clicking, she would like get them, whoever was um acting, she'd get them over, like, come here to my laptop, and she'd play them a song, be like, This is what it this scene needs to feel like. And they would be like, Yes, I got it. Ah, uh, amazing. That's amazing. Love oh, that. What a joy that must have been. That. Like, oh, what a fun. Oh, man, I'd love to have been on that set. It's like, yeah, mixtapes. Um, <laughs> like, is nostalgia. Um, 
And what did you make of that? Like, there's this amazing montage of killers. I think this is in the exposition mm. scene that Josh is doing when he's like running through the history of serial killers in Shady Side, which I know on paper it sounds bad, but I think it would be really fun personally to grow up in a town that has like a big murder history. <laughs> Maybe I don't know what that says about me, but I'd have a lot of fun putting together a serial killer um, scrapbook. <laughs> You're like, can I move there? The real estate? I'm sure it'd be cheap. You could probably buy a house. I'm sure it'll be cheap. I could buy a house for probably. like fifty pounds. Yeah. I'm sure you could move to Maribor. So you're like, you, you'll be, you'd be like a millionaire there. You'd be like, they'd be like, oh, this crazy ladies move to Shady Side. So on that note, let's hear a little bit from director Lee Janiak on the history of serial killers in Shadyside. This is a weird way to phrase the question. I'm sorry. What was like the, the tapestry of serial killer and horror film influences that went into that? I mean, so much <laughs> that it was like it was very dark it was a very dark place during prep i spent a lot of time with the other writers we thought about kind of what are the um kind of the archetypes that we want to be you know visiting first so mm -hmm. obviously skull mask came from this like this idea of this kind of halloween masked type you know character that we saw a lot in the 90s and then with the 70s we wanted to be more the traditional axe murderer like that kind of like man in the woods type thing um, but then you know there's not a lot there's not a lot of slashers that happen in other time periods, it turns out. So mm -hmm. we kind of looked at what the, um, like, kind of what the archetype might be of just, like, the image of what that, that era might be. <clears throat> and then we thought about how can we twist that? How can we, like, start to hint at a backstory without, mm -hmm. like, fully, fully, like, marrying ourselves to, like, exactly what happened, but, like, give a little bit there, like start to live. So Ruby was really interesting because we liked the idea of this girl who was just kind of like a little edgy, a little like, you know, kind of out there and then got turned by the witch into this this killer who totally snapped. The Milkman is one of my favorites. It creeps me out so much. I think he like is the creepiest to me of all of them. Um, <laughs> and maybe because I know like what my backstory is for him about killing housewives. Um, but, uh, and Billy Barker was fun. We looked at depression era things and there was a lot of time mm -hmm. spent looking at masks from the different eras. Um, the mask that the guy, we call him the shame killer because it's a mm -hmm. shame mask that they used to put on people kind of in, I think, 17th century Germany. Um, mm -hmm. So we, we did like lots of different research to kind of start to fill out those worlds. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like both fun and mildly traumatizing research. Totally, totally, <laughs> totally. And, and I, if you can share, could you share the backstory of the milkman? Yeah, no, the milkman. So the idea with the milkman was that he had been a vet that had been in World War II, and that's mm -hmm. where he got burned. That was the idea that he got like horribly misfigured, and he came back, and he was kind of um, shunned by being like, uh, you know, the person that made you uncomfortable because of how they looked outwardly. And then mm -hmm. when the witch turned him, he started targeting these women who felt like they were the, um, 
they were the ones that were like looking at him weird, clutching their purses when he was around prior to the turn. And so he he kind of mm -hmm. um, focused on them and and kind of um, you can see that he has like a bit of a pervert vibe, like in the movie, like he's he like licks Ziggy sometimes. He's smelling. He's kind of creepy. So there was a there was a sexual element to him, too, that we didn't mm -hmm. obviously go into because it felt like a little dark. But that was that was there, too. make of the montage of all the killers where it's basically like a who's who of the history of slasher yeah, films i loved it because everywhere it's like oh it fits into this thing and it reminded me of um oh what's the film that came out recently from the book about the dark oh god Guillermo del toro oh um scary scary stories, scary stories which the is dark. another book i absolutely adored scared the shit out of me but i absolutely adored it and um it felt like that all these stories, all these like things where it's just like, oh my God, all these scary things that have like come before and here's like a snippet of them. And like, you only have to mention like the lady looking for a toe or whatever who it is in it from things. To I'm like, oh, that's enough. <laughs> I remember everything. It's fine. And they loved it because it felt like that. It's like, oh, here's a, like literally a shot of it. And you realize, how, you know how bad it was. You know how like, this is already mm. gruesome. I don't even need to see everything they did. It's like, especially the kid one was really like, oh, mm. like, I need to know about this one. I really need to know. And then the original one, which is like the preacher who like ripped out kids' eyes or something. I was like, these are all yes. just... And what's great about them is because you know, I guess at this point or fairly early on, it's to do with like the witch, um, that there's no reason behind it. It's not like oh, this person, mm -hmm. this bad thing happened to them and then they decided that they hate, which is obviously the trope of a lot of slashes, is like, I'm getting revenge mm -hmm. somehow um, for this this way I was treated, the way I was raised, whatever it, it was. Um, mm -hmm. And this is not that. It's just like, no, there's no, you, there's no rhyme or reason to it. This person just from one day to the next has decided they're doing this to people. And mm -hmm. that's it. And I love that because I'm just like, you can't reason your way out of this. Like and like you said at the mm. beginning, because they show you who it is under the mask. It's like finding out won't help anything about like knowing yeah. who that person was or is won't help you at all. It's just context. It's just it's mm. just a reference point. And it, I love it. Like this, un it has that feeling of unstoppable killers, right? So nothing's really going to stop them. They're going to be coming no matter what. Um, and actually, it's going to be a lot harder. And even they do the thing, like they find the bones, they bury the bones, all the things that have come before in films. It's like, this is what we need to do hmm. to like save ourselves. And like, none of it's enough. Um, so I, I, I love that. I love the like roster of killers. I love there's so many. I'm like, I, like if all of them turned up, guys, like what is anyone going to do? And it's like, I love that they're, they're like shady, um, shady side has like, you know, a history of like killers and stuff. But not like, oh, there's been a lot of murders. It's like, no, we have like very specific, like horrendous. It's like, is no one? I feel like the FBI would be there. Like, um, guys, <laughs> what's happening here? Because like it very much in this vein of Stranger Things, where there's like these weird scientists mm -hmm. being like, oh, this weird thing that is here, an entrance to something here or whatever. I feel like there'd be that situation in Shady Side because I'm just like, no way people have been like yeah just a lot of murders don't know why it's like really 
not like murders, not like regular murders, like psychotic, horrendous, like there's regular murders and then there's like venti yeah. murders, yeah. which is <laughs> the, the extreme serial killing that Shady has, Shady Side has, and like. A preacher is ripping out children's eyes. What are you talking? There's a kid beating people to death with a baseball bat. Like, this is not, like, this is not your run of the mill. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, what's going on? Oh, no. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'd be, ter- you, you can move that. I'd be terrified every day of my life. I'm like, I feel like I'm almost guaranteed to get murdered at some point. I, I'd impose a curfew on myself. I oh, would. <laughs> If I ever moved to Shadyside, obviously this is a fictional town, but now I'm living this reality in a in a portion of my brain. Like if I <laughs> moved into my fifty pound house, which I would one hundred percent decorate in the same vibe, vibe as Guillermo del Toro, and have a room. <laughs> I knew you were going to say <laughs> I'd have a, a serial killer library with a window where it constantly rained and stormed, um, even though it was always sunny. <laughs> <laughs> which is what he has in his writing room and I'm really jealous and I want it I want it <laughs> I just like I was like she was living in a shady side she'd have the creepiest house in yeah. the creepiest town in America um, you'd be like the scary lady that everyone's like scared to go by her house <laughs> I would cultivate that image so the serial killers wouldn't murder me I'd be like the walking Wikipedia of serial killers of Shadyside, which is what Josh does. And I was like, I love his right. monologue with the montage of the killers because he's just like slamming down these, you know, newspaper newspaper clippings, yeah, and be like, "Did you not know about Ruby Lake? Like the girl who was singing while she murdered her boyfriend?" But also, I love that no one else you live in a town when this happens on a regular basis everyone's just like what how do you know about all this is like guys not even a tiny bit curious like about all the murders that happen in your town if that happened in my town like a regular crime happens near my i'm like oh my goodness like can't believe that happened like looking up everything about it and they're just like oh we've never thought to even look into this one guy is like <laughs> I think this is like the, the this is where this. it's kind of similar to it I guess because it has the same vibe right because Derry mm. is like has all these t- horrific yes. child disappearances and murders and no one seems to give a shit except Mike the librarian who's the only one who stays there and like keeps track of all these things and you're like did nobody did nobody yeah. else was curious nobody saw the patterns nobody like investigated (laughs) which is why i think a lot of these films Mm. have to be set at a certain time in history because like we said now it wouldn't work because there really was a time where people didn't think to look for missing children they just didn't do it it just was like not worth their time it was such a bizarre time in history for like police i don't really know what they were doing they just kind of make like a good example is like when Ted, mm-hmm. Bu- Ted Bundy killed his first victims, for example, these girls had d- disappeared in the night, right? There was blood all over their pillows and the police were like, they probably got a nosebleed and have gone on some sort of weird road trip or something. You know what you kids are like now? And I'm like, what a leap to, 
like you've never you never no one's heard from them no one's seen them in the middle of the night they got a nosebleed and were like well better pack my bag not even pack a bag leave with nothing and go on a road trip and that's really how they thought and that was like two women who clearly been murdered and so when kids were just like missing without a trace they just couldn't wrap their head around that someone would Mm -hmm. do something that sinister to a child they assumed it was like a child's well you know what children are like they've gone off they've got themselves in trouble they've gone off with like they've run away or whatever it just wasn't a concern so in it i was like yeah people would just be like oh don't know what's going on like they're all just running away i guess and it completely tracks unfortunately there's something so insightful about what you just said because it's like actually listening to you to you speak about it it's like fuck that's the reason why all of these movies that we love and that people keep rediscovering and coming back to and sort of talking in this as you know as modern classics teen and sort of preteen movies from the 80s and 90s because it was perhaps that last era as you're talking about where the the kids world the teen world and the adult world were quite separate like it was the separation was harsh and stark and you could like go off and have get yourself in trouble and have these adventures so watching that all these films like stand by me like it um you know it the book and the miniseries the the contemporary adaptations obviously more recent but they tap into that Mm. even stranger things like reminds us of that and so does this film where it's like actually this whole thing is happening in the teenage world so they're limited and kind of alone like there are adults over there it's not like they're living in a, in a town where there's no adults ever but going to those figures of authority is just not an option they're always they're always separate they don't count in these stories that's not how they think and there's no like no one's chasing after these kids they're like are you home yet text me when you get there do this when you do this yeah. it's like no, no no they're completely on their own mission so everything they do is kind of like it's kind of makeshifty. It's kind of perhaps making mistakes, but like, fuck them. They're teenagers. There is a limit to what they know. Yeah. And like, what do you do? If you're like, someone's like, they've just been tried to, like, someone's been murdered in the hospital, like, several people have been murdered in the hospital. Someone's tried to kill you. You go to the police and you tell them they're just like, doesn't sound real. So, and you're like, what do you do after that point? Who do you go to? If you've gone to like the actual one authority that's meant to, take care of stuff like that and it's literally because they're teens if an adult came and was like someone's killing people in the hospital he'd be like oh god i better go check this out and just the idea that teens were dismissed and also even the fact that um Mm. dina and sam are are gay is that because you know there's a whole thing with police which we still know about which especially at a certain point in time where they wouldn't really go to the bad side of town. Mm. It's not their main priority. Like you, if you live in a good side of town, you have a better relationship with the police because they will turn up. Mm. If someone's breaking into your house, they will turn up. If someone in the poor side of town is like someone's breaking, they'll be like, well, that happens all the time. So is that really a big deal? And um, especially because, you know, homosexual people weren't really accepted. Even then, if they knew you were, they take you less seriously for some reason. Like they're like, uh, mm. like you gay people are all just liars, or <laughs> I don't know what they thought, but they just would take it less seriously. And it's stuff like that we have to remember is that around around those times, like so, I was listening yes. to about Kitty Genovese, which is that woman that got murdered in New York, right? 
So nine one one didn't exist before. Well, 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 when this murder happened, um, there weren't as many street lights. They knew police wouldn't come to certain areas. Like if you were non-white and you called the police, they probably wouldn't come. If they knew you like hung around specific gay bars or whatever, they probably wouldn't come. So there was just this not like nonchalant, mm-hmm. like not bothered at all attitude the police had, which I think dragged mm-hmm. on till quite late. Where they were just like, there are certain things that yeah. you just don't need to take seriously. And um, mm. the kids have no options after that. Like, what are their parents? Who knows where their parents are, but what would they do? Like, and actually, no one can even really mm. save them or protect them, to be fair, um, in that situation, because they are much o- more open to the idea of what this actually is. Whereas, wasting mm-hmm. time trying to convince an adult that this is what's happening is actually just like time you're wasting <laughs> like it's just it then it's going to take too long until so- they will literally see someone die from it which is usually what happens in these films they're like oh maybe you're right it's like yeah maybe um so it always like kids are just kind of they just kind of accept what they see what's happening and go this is what's going on this is it this is the only explanation for this and which is why I love Joyce Byers in Stranger Things because she's just on board. Joyce is like, listen, something weird's happening. I believe the kids. <laughs> I'm on. I'm on side. And I'm like, I love that they gave her this one adult that 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 actually was trying to do something. But in most of these teen films, there isn't any. They just don't care, mm. and they think there's like a way to protect people. Like in the screen films, they think the way to protect um Sydney is to. They're, the police just do their policing. Yeah. Like, we know how to protect you. This is the, this is the one way we do this. And it's like, listen, no, it's not going to work. And you're not being smart enough about this. Like you having your gun is not enough when the killer's smarter than you. If we add the supernatural element to it as well, it's like an additional thing. Because it's, it's yeah. hard enough for these kids to convince the adults that there's a killer that's trying to murder them but if they start saying actually there's multiple killers and all of them are dead but they're still coming back and very much are trying and succeeding in murdering us please help that's a much bigger task so what did you make of the way that like because the supernatural element really surprised me because that's not kind of part of the the mm. tropes of the slasher film, at least the ones that this film in particular is trying to emulate from the nineties. Like, how do you think it merged the supernatural elements with the with the familiar slasher ones? I love a good witch story, so I love that it's like, oh, it's still a familiar trope where it's like it's a witch getting revenge from beyond the grave for being so mistreated. What I love about that trope especially is that i'm like yes loads of women were persecuted the the, the issue with like the burning and hanging of witches <laughs> was that they were just regular women and actually they weren't doing anything and people it was just an easy convenient way to get rid of people women you didn't like um or like people you didn't like mostly women and um i love in all these tropes where it's just like this witch is like oh so she was a witch <laughs> She was an incredibly effective and powerful witch, actually. So the townspeople went a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> They've angered an actual witch. So I love it. it's like not even the injustice storyline holds up because they're just like <laughs> they, they burned an actual witch. <laughs> they, they were 
bang on the money in this case. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's basically because, you know, it's her getting from revenge. It's, I'm sure we're going to find mm-hmm. out. It's not really explained why she wants, there's like a little rhyme. I love a little rhyme as well that tells everyone what she does. Um, but, and everyone just ignored it until this point. It's like, there's literally a rhyme that tells you exactly what's going to happen. Um, but yeah, she's just angry at everybody. It seems like she's like, you know what? Anyone who comes anywhere near my bones, fuck you guys. You're all dead. That's a rhyme. Um, That's a Seraphia <laughs> rhyme. <laughs> <And> I love- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like, <laughs> oh, you walked near dead. my bones? <laughs> Everyone's dying. Everyone's dying. <laughs> Everyone of you. Sick of this. Just trying to rest in peace. How dare you? <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, she's the supernatural equivalent of like an old lady being like, get off my porch. Like, she just... <laughs> she's just so angry. Get off my bones! And I... <laughs> she just missed. And then we don't mm-hmm. know yet why why every so few years she just invokes mm-hmm. her, like someone to become a murderer. Because this is different, right? So the initial mall murders is what yeah. happens every few years where like someone who seem is seemingly fine just decides to start killing people what's happening to this particular mm-hmm. group of kids is different because she's pissed at them because they they stood on her porch this is like a different thing um where she's like extra pissed and she's like i'm invoking everybody like everyone's coming for you my best my axe guy's coming for you i'm saying my best guy uh <laughs> who loves his job he's gonna be really good at it so um I love that that it also played into another trope, and then it's mm. so many things mixed together. I I adore it because the killers are also like like we've said they're quite familiar um, manifestations mm-hmm. of killers from slashes, right? Mm-hmm. Guy with an axe and mask, uh, girl with a razor who singing is like a creepy like song, um, Ghostface, like it's all things we recognize. But they're supernatural. So it's like imbues them with this power or this unseen, like, they have a boss. It's like, (laughs) if you kill them and they kill a lot of the killers multiple times, especially in kind of in those in those booby traps that they set up, there's like a great like Goonies moment where they're setting up all these booby traps to like blow get all the killers yeah. together in one room in the high school and they blow them up and that doesn't work because they can just come back they can like literally rematerialize like in hot shots too they like get up from the goo yeah yeah or like terminator <laughs> obviously like very very, very highbrow because i like terminator i went two. to hot shots too and instead of terminator 2 oh fuck <laughs> i'm very embarrassed <laughs> my spectrum so my spectrum of references is like hot shots too <laughs> wow you're like exactly like hot i confused the characters from scary movie and uh scream earlier i was like wait which one's a real one <laughs> i watched them both equal amount of times and i'm confused about them both now but like um yeah so they're unstoppable so that's more in the vein of the slasher killer we get mm-hmm. like uh freddy krueger or um mike myers who has also been oh, yeah. fully murdered several times um, but somehow there's even a new yep. film coming out. I can't wait for it. But like, you know, there's a new film coming out this year. It's like, I've watched this man die, but sure. And, um, so yeah, imbues him with this power. So it just kind of like ties together all these tropes of like 
what if a witch got <laughs> rightly accused of witchcraft and murdered, <laughs> correctly accused of witchcraft <laughs> and killed, and but then wants revenge? What if it's that trope, a witch trying to get revenge because her grave disturbed? So it's like a mm-hmm. burial of the bones and like this whole thing of like all that that trope. But then what also if if she was also the boss of these like serial killers that were existed for a time and everyone thought was gone away, but actually she can bring back at any point. And then what if they have that serial killer ability to just turn up wherever you are and always be able to find you and come after you and nothing you do is going to stop them until you figure out this mystery of like what to do um it's it's so many things tied together it's like what if they were all connected and i know they're going to explain it more as the films go on so we've just scratched the surface now so i'm just like we're going to find out a lot more because they bury the bones and i love the idea it's like no she doesn't care about i mean she cares about her grave being disturbed but that's not what she needs from you she's pissed she's not like Yes, I just please like yes, please find my bones yeah. and bury them. It's not one of those stories. She's like, no, I fucking hate you. You're dead now. Like that's <laughs> that's my issue. But yeah. I love that they like they have they go through several theories. Like they sort of really go through everything. They mm. try killing the killers. That doesn't really work. They come back. Then they go try to understand like how do we like Sam is sort of marked by the blood of Sarah Fear. And it's like, okay, so what happened before? There was someone else at the camp who survived. So the next uh, the next installment of the Fear Street franchise is going to be 1978. So there's like already an, an allusion to like, there was someone else who was mm-hmm. who survived a massacre. Um, how did she do it? She died for a brief moment. So they're like, we need to kill Sam for, you know, like put her into cardiac arrest, basically. And then that will stop them. Like the whole... And I, I love the drug montage. It's it, again, this is this is the faculty. It's like, oh yeah, by oh, the yeah. way, the secret to um surviving this ordeal is getting so high that you OD. And let us now explain like yeah. the, the formula for killing you and bringing you back to life. And then it's like this this countdown, which works so well yeah. because like as all the killers are coming back and, and chasing after them and like it's this heightened situation, you're like Sam and Dean are just like literally trying to kill her but in a really specific way with pills and it's such a great scene where she's drowning her and everyone is coming up behind her and like poof they disappear yeah it's fantastic and the idea of like and also i love that's why these films always have to be teens because only teenagers would be like oh yeah i guess i gotta (laughs) die for a couple of seconds because adults would be like no there must be another but teens like fuck it yep Let's go. Let's drown me. I like they take the lobster out the tank before they drown her. So I was like, I don't think he would have done anything to her. That's but adorable. I'm, this is great. Um, but um, also that water would, would have been foul. Which is, I was like, but only teens girl. would not care. Teens would not care. Teens would be like, okay, what is there a toilet? Is there a, is there a lobster tank? Whatever there is, I'll I'll kill myself in that tank. Let's let's drown me in that. Um, so I love that they're just like we've got a plan. Mm. We just got to see it through. And that they're all fully willing to die for this. They know they're entirely putting themselves at risk. And they're prepared for it. Can we talk about the deaths? The deaths. Because I don't know about you. I was not expecting (laughs) that at all. No. No, I was not. That was like, 
first final destination levels of like these are good deaths this is yes this has been well done um kate kate's one is just like because it's one of those moments where you're assuming you're like she's gonna get out of this yeah (laughs) that's what it feels like she's gonna fight back she's gonna find a way to like get out of this and then it's like oh no he sliced up her head in a bread slice slayer like which is just i can't even i don't and they really show you it's not like hey guys her head's gone in there it's like here's slices of her head (laughs) i I was like oh (laughs) like i i I obviously like gory films i was not prepared for fear street 1994 to go that far and i was i respect you a lot because you are definitely bringing back the violent 90s slasher vibes this is no stranger things bullshit this is like hardcore slasher (laughs) kids are gonna die scooby-doo gang is also like fallible they can also be killed and i love this also towards the end like this is the moment where in most of these films like in stranger things or or, like whatever shows or films like this where Mm. they rally they figure it out they're fighting their hardest so actually most of them make it and they've got this far and then it's like no bread slice ahead here it is and they sh- they really let you see it <laughs> mm-hmm. and i was like i think i audibly got i was like oh like oh my god that is more but like in that way where it doesn't feel like if you know that when deaths are so like silly not silly but like gruesome mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's such a crazy way to die that you're like, oh wow, this like it feels like Final Destination, like yes. that fun, like how's this person gonna die in this scene? Um, it felt like that where I was like, oh, unexpected, like oh that's a good, and to do it at this point is like really clever. And then Simon gets an axe in the head, which comes. That's like a good shock. That's like a good like, oh, didn't know that was about to happen in that particular way axeman finally yeah. finally found a mark with his axe good at his job just been swinging it around that whole time he's like did it finally yeah um tick but- i've got that off my to-do list <laughs> did it um yeah and so i love they wait to that this film also has about like it has several endings right yes. so the bit in the school feels like the natural climax and to the mm-hmm. point where i was like i had to check how much time was left because like is I feel like I'm being tripped <laughs> into uh-huh. thinking this is the big moment, right? Because mm-hmm. they have they give them which a lot of these films have they give them that moment of levity, right? Mm-hmm. Where they have their plan in place and like Sam and Dina get back together and like Josh and Kate have a kiss and um, Simon jacks off and and you know there's this moment of like oh they this is their moment of last moments of togetherness and oh yeah. we, this is our last chance to have like a kiss and like before we put our plan in place and then we'll see what happens and that's not even remotely the end it's like no this is just them gearing up to the first fight of it the first real attempt at testing out their theory what did you make of the real ending because we kind of they kind of leave us with both a, twi- a final twist a final like carrie's hand um, getting out like creeping out of the a final kind of Harry's hand bursting out of her grave mm-hmm. but also with a cliffhanger yeah I 
loved it. I just, I just thought it ended like three different times. I was like, oh, now this is the end. So they've killed her. They've brought her back, um, Sam, mm-hmm. and, and this is the end. And then the, the, you see Sam's mum and Sam's mum, who's not, cons- they, she, they talk to the police. It feels like they're wrapping up when they're talking to the police. Mm. This is actually what happened. We're just going to say it's this, like, because you won't believe us if we say anything else. So I love how the police explanation is like these two tweakers, like, went on a killing spree. It's like, and somehow ended up with an axe in one of their heads and with their, one of their heads sliced, but they were somehow the masterminds of all of it. Like, what? But anyway, that's what the police theory is. And then Sam's mum comes to get her and she kisses Dina in front of her mum. And her mum, who's not concerned at all that her daughter's been terrorised for the entire night, she's like, her, being a lesbian, she's... <laughs> that's the Absolutely only thing not. that she's horrified. She's like, sees her holding Dina's hands, like, oh, lesbianism? Absolutely not. Murder, I'll accept. Lesbianism, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> like, yes, I know you were almost murdered. No reason that you should be holding a girl's hand. Ridiculous. Um, so you think that's the end, and you see the girls hanging out, and then there's a moment of like the pretend jump scare where mm-hmm. the bell rings and then Josh is just outside the door eating pizza. He's, and he's like grown up. He's ordering pizza for himself. And he's like, I love that moment. Right. So you're like back to normal. And mm. then you, it feels like the next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be like another killer that comes. Mm-hmm. That feels like how most slashers would end is that actually they're not safe from the threat outside, but then the threat is coming from inside the house. Like, <laughs> The They're witch like, is not no, dead. No, no, no. It's already here. And before anyone even knows what's happened, someone's been stabbed. And I I was like, I just, this is like flipping it over so many times. It's all happening too fast for you even to like get, you're like, oh my God, wait, what? Oh my God, wait, what? And by the time, the moment you've realized, oh, this is what's going to happen next, it's happening. Yes. Um, yes. You're yeah. exactly right. Yeah. And I think it's really a clever way because we do know all the tropes and it's still mm. not really different from other films we've seen. It's just that they're all in one film, mm. and, which is not something that we've seen. It's like, no, any anything from that genre of those times is up for grabs in this film from any film you can think of. So that's what's clever about it. It's like, yeah, it, it feels like Scream at the beginning, but it's not like Scream. So it feels like, this other thing it feels like i don't know like witch films or i don't it's so clever because i'm just like oh it, he's um uh, the um what am i talking about <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i'm like you've come with the basis of rl stein um which gives you quite a lot of space which i think mm-hmm. like the goosebumps books do as well to uh, build on and like you can go this is the basis of the story but then what if we brought all the elements of all the other books or whatever into this one story, which is what they did with a uh, scary stories in the dark. They're like, rather than have them as individual stories, what if all the scary stories became what in this one film terrorizing mm-hmm. this one group of kids. But what's happened in this film is it's like, Oh no, I have a grab bag of all these horror films and mm-hmm. I can cherry pick anything I want from these films tropes, you know, but in a way that you're not expecting to happen right now. Oh, you think this is the end because this is usually the end, but no, it's, mm. it's not. Um, and I'm going to do that several times. And then because the films are separated by so many years, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure how they'd link. I was like, so is it going backwards? As in, are we coming to the source of what happened? 
But then what it feels like is what's actually happening is they're going back to like explain. So we're still not necessarily leaving the world of the 90s. It's more like we have to go back to explain for these kids here to understand how to fix this problem, which I I did not expect either. I, mm-hmm. I I'm obsessed with it already. I'm like this is way smarter than it gives the impression it ha- is at the beginning. Yes, it's so much so layered. It's so fun to listen to you talk about them without having seen the next ones. Yeah. And I'm I'm doing a lot of work to like absolutely show nothing about what I know <laughs> because I wanted to enjoy the full breadth of what they're doing yeah. but on that ending fuck me does it do like seven different things in that one scene mm. so on the one hand on the character side it's like a perfect arc even within the movie where like even there's these these two very similar shots of Josh the the who we haven't really spoken about much because he's like the the nerd exposition a fount of knowledge character that's the trope that he fits into but also kind of upends in his own way uh because he he becomes braver he gets gets to first base with kate well done him um and like there's this identical shot of him behind his computer where it's like the first one he's covered himself up with a blanket which is like this dude is isolating himself so much from everyone even in his own house even in his own Mm. room or den and by the end of it he's like ordering dinner and talking with his sister and not feeling the need to like hide himself away from everyone and like defending his friends who have just died on the yeah. serial killer message board where you know he automatically goes there be like hey you know guess what hey guys <laughs> guess <laughs> what <laughs> but also like are just making out on her bed listening to the pixies which is something that they were talking about like i just want to you know i just want to lay on a bed and make out with you and listen to the pixies to this one particular song hey which is like my favorite pixie song it's like fuck this this movie is doing things to me (laughs) hey must be a devil between us or whores in my head we we kind of talked about the the whole vibe the aesthetic of it but what did you make of the of the music as well like the soundtrack to this film is like a, now that's what I call the 90s. Yeah, it was great. Um, it was just like, yeah, it was like listening to a playlist you made of like a very specific time in your life where you're like, oh, there's that song and there's this song. My only criticism of it would be that they never played them any of them for long enough. I'd be like, oh man. <laughs> and now this song's finished and here's another one, which is also great, but I wish we heard more of that song. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. And I loved because music's such an easy way or such a quick way mm-hmm. to put people in a place in time mm-hmm. because your brain just like any 70s thing. Like, like I, I don't think there's any film that's set in the 70s that doesn't start with like a sweeping shot of something with someone with very 70s hair and like a song very indicative of that time just playing. Like, and it's like, yeah, it's just the easiest way to go. Oh, we're here. Um, and I think the 90s is quite hard because for people who are our age, which I'm not saying what age that is, but it doesn't feel like the past to us in the same way. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this this still feels quite modern. So I think with the 90s, it's actually quite hard to do because I think it's a lot harder to go, this is very specifically the 90s um, mm-hmm. of music unless you were there. I think we're much better, like, 
I think we'd be able to go, that's a song from the 60s, that's a song from the 70s. Whereas I think the 90s of people who didn't experience it, it's like, I don't know, it's from some time. I think it'd be hard to differentiate for maybe a teenager now, what was the 90s, what was the 2000s, what was even the late 80s, to be mm-hmm. to be honest. And the 90s, as we all know, actually spanned into the early 2000s. It wasn't yes, really it did. over. Yeah. It, was, it was a decade that lasted 15 years, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so even that is like, it's a weird time. And it, I think for that reason, the aesthetic, I, I liked it. I liked it was in the mall. I liked the, you know, the clear phone that Dina has, like the clear mm-hmm. like phone in her room, even like the house phone with a long cord, um, that stuff. But I was like, it's actually quite hard to pinpoint what this asset, because there are people who dress like this now, especially the 90s yeah. are coming back. So yeah. like, this actually looks like now you wouldn't, none of these people would look out of place now. So I yeah. think it was quite a hard thing to do with it. If, unless you like really lent into like one aesthetic, like grunge or something, it's actually quite hard to, so you relied on other markers, you relied on music and mm. like house phones and stuff like that. Cause I'm like, there's nothing else that's really, none of this, none of the clothes or hair or anything is different to how someone would dress now. Um, and I think maybe it was more stuff like how the town set out. And the rivalry mm-hmm. between schools, that felt like old school. It just felt like not now. Yeah. Like the way cheerleaders are dressed and the town still being like, uh, you're not. The adi- the attitudes as opposed to like yeah. making it feel like a period piece. Yeah. So, and I think they probably did did well to not lean into it too much. Um, Like, I think that was a good decision because i think it would have felt quite hacky if they so i was watching it being like oh this doesn't feel that specific that's because i was <laughs> i grew up in the 90s and it just kind of it doesn't feel like the past in the way other times do mm. yet yeah, i'm sure it will at some point but not right now it doesn't um but i was like if they made them like you know too grungy or it was too there were too many nods to like here's this very 90s thing mm. it's like who's that for it's like for a very specific group of people who lived it because uh, like kids now like younger people now will be like i don't know what that is so and it's like (laughs) (laughs) so if it was too heavy-handed like there's a point where dina puts on her like little walkman but Mm -hmm. they don't and i feel like other films might have been like it's a walkman kids look at this and they didn't do that it's like yeah it's just what she's using because that's what kids use it's a big deal so it was like a lot more subtle Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't think you have to be in the seventies. God knows what's going to happen in the sixteen hundreds. But like in the seventies, I think it can be like you can like really hammer up. You can lay it on quite thick because all we know of the seventies is like nostalgia. It's so that, what we know of it is like from films anyway. So you can lay yeah. it on quite thick. But the nineties, I'm like it's still too close to home to lay it on too thick. It would have felt too cheesy. So I really like that I did it because it does feel like these films are for teens. It feels mm-hmm. like yes, older people are going to enjoy them. All the people who grew up with the original slashes and stuff are going to love them. But it feels like a new set of films for like teens to get into mm-hmm. and horror for that generation. You know, they're the protagonists in it and it's not going to be like too scary. Yes, there's some gore, but it's kind of like cartoon gore in, in a way <laughs> like where it's like someone's head got sliced. Um, it's like fun gore to talk about. Um, it's not traumatizing. And um so yeah, it feels very much like that. So I was like, I just felt like it would have been an empty gesture to be like, here's all these 90s things that teens now will be like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Um, 
I think you're, yeah. I think you're spot on. I think you're spot yeah. on with that, and especially in how it uses not so much even costume, but like locations and yeah. um, music to to pinpoint the area where it's happening. But I was I was a little bit worried that it might like fall into this nostalgia trap of like I'm mean, gonna go and look. It's the '90s, and actually, yeah. it's the setting. It's so much more concerned with channeling the 90s slasher films i think the 90s brand and look and feel of horror films from that era than it is with like looking like an ad for urban outfitters which are selling walkmans and discmans by the way i find it what okay there's a reason those are dead technologies like there's a good good reason it's just not the way no um i will be furious if i see someone i will i'll be like really You've got your music on a, a cassette tape. <laughs> I like. I I'd be more. I'd be more disturbed by a discman than a cassette tape player because yeah. I know that a lot of like bands are putting out their new music on cassettes as well. I'm like, I don't know why, but okay, I guess it's like. But CDs like, were never going to be. They just at some point would always not really work. Not really. I just. Yeah. Walkmans were just the most annoying thing. Discmans because it would they'd always skip. It's very hard to like keep them still enough. It was just too much. You know, you know what we're doing now? We've become the old ladies on the bench, like talking about <laughs> Get like, off my oh, the walk, the uh, walk, the Walkmans were always bad. The vinyls were the ones. That, the vinyls never fail. <laughs> but I feel like the, so. What's interesting? What you just said about the they were basically trying to recreate the idea of like these 90 slashes that we know mm. it's like those were actually of they were set now at, at the time those came out yeah which is why yeah. it's clever because it's like those weren't trying to achieve a 90s aesthetic they just had one because they mm-hmm. were set at a certain time so i think yeah i think you're right it's more clever to set base it on those films than base it on like what we imagine the 90s to be mm. um because it's like well no it was just modern times at the time and yeah. the same with and the opposite for the 70s is like because you can lay on thick because actually our references are always it's never based on like an actual 70s film it's like based yeah. on an idea of the 70s quite a lot um yeah an idea that we've built up through movies and i guess yeah. that for younger generations who are coming or you know teenagers now who are coming in to see fear street in the same way as we might have seen scream or i know what you did last summer for the first time they've also only known the 90s through these films so actually the universe that they exist in is quite similar um deliberately so but i think it's smart for younger audiences because you know when you build up um when you build up an image or knowledge of an era or a particular time and moment, because, you know, the 90s are not the same everywhere. I'm talking, like, very specific, but, like, fictional small American towns. That 90s. Um, It's it's got a very specific vibe. So you're kind of, like, going back to the same town where Buffy and Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer and Urban Legend were happening. So if you, if teens had seen those films, even by accident, because they were on Netflix for a brief moment of time or something... You still, still like a familiar universe to go into. Yeah. So yeah, if you've seen this, and then if you go back, it, I guess if you see the Fear Street films first, if you see mm. like the '90s one first, and then you go back, it'd be interesting actually to. Do, I, I wish I could like remove my brain and like do that and like give it a wash and like watch Fear Street and then go back through all those films and 
see them and see where all those things come from mm. it'll be so interesting yeah to see teens go oh what, what is this a reference to or like watching those other films later on but by accident and being like oh this is like that and it's like yeah it's like kids now realizing what samples like hearing the songs for the first time that are sampled in songs they listen to now mm-hmm. and realizing oh this was a whole song um that people listen to and it's discovering that and then finding out like oh and that bit's from here and that mm-hmm. song also sampled this other song from like the 80s or um it's like unpacking something unpacking a mystery not not to be all like hello fellow kids but if you listen to like a snippet of a song on tiktok and then you listen to the full song that's that's yeah. like the equivalent that you're talking about which like, is oh this is a <laughs> that was definitely like a hello fellow kids it's <laughs> <laughs> like Actually, hello Zara, i, I am on the tiktoks it's, uh, <laughs> more akin to uh tiktok <laughs> I've never felt more Steve Buscemi-esque than I did in that moment. I do apologize. I've outed myself as like an old person. I think we've both outed ourselves as like fairly old like people. I think I think we both, even though I've like talked about the witch being like, oh, as like I I understand her point of view <laughs> that she's like a cranky old like bag of bones. He's like, don't touch my bones. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I teenagers are annoying. I understand. Uh, <laughs> that's why I like have a fondness so, for the weird axe wielding man. I'm like, he's trying to <laughs> some credit where credit's due. Maybe he'll be back. I hope Maybe so. he'll be back in 1978. So. And then there's a phone call. So we haven't mentioned the fact that at one point Sheriff Good leaves this note in someone's house, which yeah. just says it's happening again. So like all of these little things that are teasing, tying up or teasing the next film or or teasing that maybe there's something larger than the kids don't know because of this like separation between the adult world and the teen world. Mm-hmm. And Dina gets this phone call from from one of the survive from the survivor from the camp massacre that's going to be the central point of the second film being like, oh, no, there is some shit and we need to talk about and like in slow motion exactly as you said when you think something's gonna happen it's already happening where she she just quietly got stabbed it's the quietest stab i've ever seen in in a slasher film yeah and you're just like oh oh no and this is she's picked you know sam as her next agent of (laughs) chaos yeah (laughs) and um you don't and you still don't know you get a better glimpse of the witch at that point as well of like if there's active the witch isn't some dead gone thing hmm. then you realize oh there's something active happening here someone's in like with with a ulcer and like fires and stones is it like you know magically etching these names hmm. on these is picking these people and so then you realize like oh it's much more involved than some like kind of abstract you know oh i've so it's even more like oh this is it really is a boss someone who's like Yes, invoke you and you and you to go do this for me. Thank you. So it's really interesting. The fact that this is the first time in the history of this happening that, well, as far as we know, that Dean is like, has tied up Sam is like, we're going to get you back. So there's an idea that, oh, you can reverse this. Mm. There must be a way to like reverse this. And now the goal is to 
free Sam from the like mm. clutches of the witch. Yeah, so it, it's really layered, really clever. Because at this point, so you think you know what it is, but at this point, I have no clue actually what the reasons are going to be, what mm-hmm. the issues. I'm just like, I actually don't know what this is going, what's going to happen here, um, which I did not expect to come to the end of this film and be like, I have no clue what what the plan is. I think that's my favorite thing about this film and about like horror films in general or kind of meta horror films, mm. which sometimes get a little bit of a bad rap, but I think it's it's a hard line to walk as for filmmakers, I think, because you both have to like satisfy horror fans who are kind of looking out for the things, you know, like we, we're we smugger than everyone else. And we'd be like, mm. I, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. I know who the killer is. <laughs> and then, but you still want to be surprised because like, isn't that the best possible thing that can happen when you're watching a yeah. film that you kind of feel, well, I know what this is going to be. I know what I'm in for. And then it's like, oh, wait, hold up. No, I, I didn't. I do know what's happening, but it's doing things that I didn't expect, but it still fits the rules. So yeah. it's like both catering to horror fans who love 90s slasher films and love these tropes and are familiar with them and enjoy them. And also giving something much more layered and smarter that keeps us guessing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it has that thing about um, what's nice about it being set in this one town, like anything that's set in one town means mm. there's a history there. So it means that like like in it these kids have grown up and now it's like oh so when as far as we go back it's like they're going to be the descendants of somebody like this would have been happening for generations so people have actually been seeing this before which is even more annoying that the adults more, aren't more on board because like hmm. you've literally been here for the other times this has happened um so but i love that because it just allows for like a whole new set of characters who are like older who remember a, a thing and remember what happened and um a richer history and how they got over it how they buried it and it, it could just be like this massive expanse of like people who are just trying to forget which i'm assuming like the other shady siders are just trying not to really deal with they're just I guess they're just not trying very hard to keep their kids safe but just hoping it doesn't happen it's not their kid when it happens again um and even the kids are annoyed about going to a candlelight vigil because it's just that like they probably knew like Maya Hawk who like got her name's Heather in it which I also love that she's called Heather but um (laughs) they probably knew her you know they probably knew the guy who was the murderer and when the teacher's like there's going to be a candlelight vigil before the game they're like oh like and it's like because when something's happening all the time you're just a bit like we get it like kids are dead whatever like it's just it makes you uh, so like another serial killer uh, yeah fine. so jaded they're just like as long as it doesn't affect us who gives a shit like and i i love that this is like the mood of the town because what mm. can you do at that point um no one's expecting you to really survive like it's not you're just lucky if you're not a person who gets murdered to kind of start now that you've only seen the first one Mm. what do you make of the structure of what they're doing with fear street the whole like three films across different eras um what we've seen so far has been mostly on 1994 um and then the week after so next week 
after 1994, 1978 is released, and then the final installment will be set in um, 1666. Have I said that right? The final installment will be set in 1666. Mm-hmm. It sounds so weird coming up like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like it's being built essentially as like both a, a film franchise that you're getting o- almost all at once. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way they've set it out because it'd be too much to shove into one film, mm. obviously. It would just be like some long, drawn out thing that just didn't need to happen. They'd have to cut out so many nice things they have or they're going to be able to do in three separate films. Um, it means they can set the eras very specifically. Mm. They don't have to like skimp or like, I don't know, it's all can all be very specific. I think if it was a series, it would fall into like Riverdale territory, <laughs> which I enjoy, but mm-hmm. may not always be the best. Um you know, it just gets a bit like hacky at that point. Um, and yeah, I really like that this is the way they've they've spread it out and the way they've set it out. It just gives them so much space and cope. It's exciting to know there's going to be another film next week and then another one the week after. Because like I said, after the end of this first one, I really mm-hmm. genuinely don't know. I know it's set in 1978. I know it's set at summer camp. I know there's going to be all those summer camp horrors, all the tropes from those are going to be involved in that, I'm sure. But in a way now I know that I'm not expecting Mm -hmm. and in a way that I can't actually predict because we already know it's not going to be some like mass machete wielding or like chainsaw wielding killer. That's not what it's going to be. So it's somehow going to be these other ones, maybe the same ones, maybe different ones of these like witch invoked killers. Um, who were doing it, who were there, who were like, so it's fascinating because I'm like, I actually don't know. And also what other truth are they going to find out about the witch, about the situation um, that will help them in their situation now? Like, so it's, it, it's, I have no clue. I have no clue. I know it's going to be 70 summer camp vibes, which I'm very excited about because that's always a good aesthetic i was i was about to ask you like what do you what do you expect from fear street 1978 i expect mean campers who from sunnyvale um i expect um just that very 70s camp vibe with american summer camps which seem like teenagers are running this um for some reason teenagers are in charge um slightly older teenagers and the younger teenagers are just running these things but they also treat the kids they don't like badly and there's going to be lots of missed stuff lots of like teens doing it drugs as well um again unsupervised children essentially and then Mm -hmm. i'm sure there's going to be like and then the night falls and there are kids sneaking out of bunk cabins and bunks and people start dying. It takes everyone a really long time. There's going to be lots of Chet. I know that's you. Like that kind of like sneaking up. This is like a panty raid. I understand what's happening. And it's not that. Um, and then like Chet's body is like there on the floor. And she's like, <gasps> like, it's going to be lots of stuff like that. I imagine lots of short shorts um, and like tanned bodies and floppy hair. Um, so it's just going to be lots of really good songs, I imagine, as well. But as far as, like, story goes, not a clue. Apart from, like, yes, I'm sure the obvious tropes will be there, but I don't know how they're actually going to be presented to me 
or in what way I don't know what killer's going to be there. I don't know how it's going to manifest. Um, very excited, very excited. Or what several killers are going to be there. I hope it's more than one again. <laughs> I hope Axe guy's back, if I'm being really honest. I really like the Axe guy. I, I, I don't know. Even less so for the next, the one afterwards. <laughs> Literally no clue. I don't even have like a, tro- I'm not even like, here are the tropes. It's I'm like, who knows? <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a witch. I'm sure the witch thing will be like, I'm really excited for you to listen back to your predictions after you've seen the second one oh. and see and see like like do a little a little um checklist of like yes. tan bodies, floppy hair, lots of teenagers having sex, like unsupervised axemen, maybe. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? I'm I hope someone's called Chet um <laughs> or Brad. I'm sure there there is. So I I I'll be I'll be like, you know what? big cross against this film if no one's called brad because 100 percent there'd be a brad in this situation um but yeah i um i'm really and i'm already excited already so excited for the I'm other so two pumped. i'm yeah. so pumped i'm so excited for you to watch though i really really <laughs> am um so Zara, thank you so much for for watching this film for talking about it with me and where can people find more of your work online or where can they find you yelling at kids to get off your lawn <laughs> come to my porch to see me yelling at children <laughs> um that's where i do that most sundays um otherwise <laughs> you can find my writing um on the final girls website under the bloody women heading um i have a column every month called bloody perfect and a couple of other things i've written on there you can also find me on a few episodes of the final girls podcast talking about other things other films other witches and genres and murderers and stuff like um yeah and i uh, i put everything on twitter if you follow me at azara underscore bb you can find everything there awesome thank you so much thank you what treat <laughs> let me know what you think of 1978 i will you know i will thank you so much for listening do encourage you to check out azora's work it's all up on the final girls website and follow her on twitter at azor underscore bb and you can find me on twitter at anna be demented i'll also link to a few pieces that we've got coming out about fear street in case you want to deep dive a bit more into my thoughts on the trilogy as always please do rate, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your shows. As we're in a hiatus right now before we kickstart our next main series of the podcast, that type of stuff really, really does help people discover the show a bit more. And we just want to hear what you think. You can also support the Final Goals on Patreon, so find us there. As any good millennial podcast, of course, we have a Patreon, although these are weird times. So if you're not able to or not inclined to support us financially that's absolutely fine we will continue putting out episodes on the main feed for free and we'll be back next saturday with another deep dive into fear street 1978